0: We've been in the middle of a sermon series entitled Hope Against Hope, where we've been diving into the life and times of our boy Abraham. So far, his name has only been Abram, so we haven't gotten to that part of his story just yet. But our boy Abe, he he looked like a young LeBron early on. He shows tons and tons of promise, a bunch of promise, you see, he followed God's calling, even if it meant leaving his comfort zone. Everyone he'd ever known, everything he'd ever known, everyone he'd ever loved for a land that he probably never even heard of. You see, he eventually jumped ship on God's plan when the land that God promised him enters into a famine. So they decided to travel to Egypt, where Abram makes some very Terrible, terrible decisions in order to save himself. Because truth be told, if the mentality is me, 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 then everyone around you has the the real possibility of, of being hurt by some of the decisions that we would make when we're in that mindset. You see, what we continue to see throughout the Bible is that no one is perfect. No one outside of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is perfect. Every character, every person in the Bible is flawed. Everyone has baggage. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a testimony. Moments when we completely drop the ball, which is why the world is needing saving. Which is why the world is needing a savior. Which is why I need a savior. And truth be told, so do you. We need a savior. Why? Because we cannot do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. We can't just try hard enough under our own strength. But good news is that Jesus can. A relationship with Jesus Christ absolutely changes everything it changes everything you see the the very same spirit that lifted him out of the grave takes residence inside of us and he has the the power to lift us up from our sin he has the power to lift us up from our addictions he has the power to lift us up from our vices and our bad decisions you see I don't know if you know this, but everything in the Bible, everything not only in the New Testament, but everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. They all foreshadow the one who would come into this world to defeat sin and death once and for all. I don't know if you ever caught that as you you dove into the Old Testament and into the scriptures, but every single thing in the Bible, including the life of Abram, all points to the Messiah. Watch this very brief video that helps kind of illustrate that for you.
1: Bible is not a series of disconnected stories, it is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman, there is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his Father on the Mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus.
0: To Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, when we talk about the good news of God's grace, the gospel, Jesus Christ is fully revealed in the New Testament. But we have to remember that at the center of the gospel is the promise that God made. A promise to put hostility between the descendants of Eve and the serpent. A promise to crush the head of Satan. A promise to restore humanity to a full and healthy relationship with God. And in Genesis 12, we see that the Lord's instrument chosen to move this plan of salvation forward is, in fact, Abram. You see, but there were two things that were missing from this plan. Abram needed a son to carry on his lineage, and Abram also needed a home. And so today we'll be in Genesis chapter 15, starting at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? You see, when Genesis 15 kicks off, Abram has, has been through some things He has been contending and has been in a major conversation with God, fighting for the life of his nephew Lot. And so when we now catch up with Abram, he is still waiting on the promises of God. He starts to get worried. He looks at his life. He looks at the time that he's been alive. He looks at the promises that God has promised him. And something is just not adding up for his mind. These promises that God told him he would give him, he's still waiting. They're not there yet. And so he's concerned. And in a conversation with God, he he keeps it all the way real with him And he starts to share his real doubts. He starts to share his real struggles. And my question for you this morning is, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you're you're like, okay, Lord, here I am. I have been serving. I have been your servant. I have been pouring out my life like a drink offering to you. I've been grinding for your kingdom. Anything that you ask of me, I've been doing for years. And I'm not keeping count, Lord, but I've I've been doing them for years. You know my heart. You know I'm all the way in. You know. You know. And yet here I am, Lord. I've been praying for my son or, or my daughter for years. And nothing, nothing, nothing seems to be happening. Nothing, nothing, nothing seems to be changing. They are still so very far away from you. How could this be? How could this be? We, we live our lives for you. We serve you. We give you everything. And yet, we're still here. We're still here waiting for you to move in the lives of our prodigal sons and daughters that need you now need you they need you where are you lord or maybe it sounds a little different in your real talk with god oh lord my marriage my marriage is hanging on by a very skinny thread lord god i'm i'm praying i'm i'm worshiping i'm giving it all to you everything i have is yours but they don't want to work on it they don't want to change. They're not willing to, to make our relationship a priority, God. They're emotionally disconnected. They don't treat me like a spouse are we feel like roommates in the same house. Lord, they, they want a divorce. That can't be, God. That can't be your will for me. That can't be your, your will for my children. That just can't be. Have you ever been there? Or maybe it's, Lord God, I'm exhausted. I am weary. I am tired. I have been praying for this healing. I have been contending for this healing. I have been fasting for this healing, and I'm still going through it. Or I still have a loved one who's still struggling through it. Lord God, I need you to step in, Lord. I need you to show yourself strong, Lord. Lord. I need you to be who I know you to be, God, in my life. I'm tired of these bad reports. I'm tired of these bad reports. I'm tired of these bad reports. I'm tired of the diabetes, Lord. I'm tired of of these constant heart issues, Lord. I'm tired of these problems. I'm tired of this depression. I'm tired of this anxiety. I'm tired of this cancer, God. I've been praying. I need you. Where are you? You see, you can be real with God. You can be authentic with God. You can share your heart cry with God. You don't have to button it all up and and look and smell good. You don't have to dress it up and use all these kind of nice illustrative words. You can be broken before your heavenly father and tears are a language he absolutely understands. You see, the entire book of Psalms, yes, they're, they're music, but they're more like a prayer journal of real talk with God. Someone's deep down hurts, fears, frustrations, and just voicing it openly to their God. Abram is like, what what are you going to give me? What are you going to give me? I don't even have a son to carry on this lineage that you promised me about so many years ago. And, and, And how will I know that this land is mine, God? How will I know? He's like, come on, man. Come on. I ain't got no kids. I ain't got no acreage. I ain't got no land. Where is this promise at, God? Where is it? And does God rebuke him for it? Does God punish him for his real conversation? Does God come down on him for being in this emotional valley? No, oh, he doesn't. You see, Genesis fifteen nine says, So the Lord said to him, The Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot, a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. You see, a question for us is, man, he's having this real, authentic, intimate Moment in conversation with God where he's he's filing his grievances about, man, you called me out here and I'm not seeing this promise, Lord. Where is this promise? And so Abram is sent by God to go get these animals in order to get them ready for sacrifice. We see because God and Abram are about to enter into a covenant In those days, things were a little different. There really wasn't a place for you to get anything notarized. There weren't any contracts for for signing on a dotted line in those days. Their culture wasn't about handshakes and empty promises. What they did in order to, to step into covenant is they started sacrificing animals, which represent how serious they were about keeping their agreement In those days, when two people made a covenant, they would sacrifice animals and they would say that worse should happen to them if they happen not to keep that covenant. They even did it during marriage. That just ruins the bride's dress. But they took their covenant seriously. I'll tell you right now, 2021, animals would be in all kinds of trouble. All kinds of trouble. I mean, let's be real. We don't keep our word. We don't keep our agreements. We don't keep appointments. We don't keep handshakes. We don't keep much of anything. But in those days, when they entered into covenant, it was a very, very big deal. As Abram sacrifices these animals, he he waits on God. He waits on God. And God not only speaks, but he promises that the descendants, his descendants, would inherit that land, that that years in the future his people would have their land. So God is not only speaking, he's promising. You see, while Abram was full of fear, he was full of doubt in who God was and God's character. God speaks to him with reassurance. And then out of love, God literally came down to earth. He came down to earth. Not only did he come down to earth, but also he passed through the sacrifices in front of Abram. This has great symbolic meaning. You see, God was symbolizing that worse should happen to God himself if he doesn't hold up to his part of the covenant. God was telling this man, if I don't hold on to my part of the covenant, let worse then these animals, then what's happened to them, happened to me, God. But what's Abram doing? Is Abram walking through them? No, he's not. Abram is just sitting and watching, and there's a reason to that. You see, he's not doing anything. He's not walking past these sacrifices. Why? Because God is doing all the work. And God, in 2021, is still doing all the work. What what people don't understand is that this showed in the Old Testament what the New Testament would stand for called the gospel. You see, God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his promise. So faithful that he was willing to make a promise with humanity. And, and to suffer the consequences of humanity if we fail to be faithful to him. God loves us so much that he didn't just say, hey, if I drop the ball, let this happen to me. But he also said, no, if you drop the ball, 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 then I will suffer the consequences for everything you have ever done wrong. And that was the Old Testament foreshadowing what God would do through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, so you're saying that that God, if I don't keep my side of the bargain, if I don't keep my covenant with God, then he's the one who's going to take the loss on my part? Absolutely right. He said, if I don't hold on to this thing, then let it happen to me. And better yet, if you don't hold on to this covenant, then let it happen to me. Why would a God do that? Why would a God come down to one man and, and, and walk through this the, these sacrifices to prove himself to him? Why? Because God is radically in love with each and every one of you. He knew that Abram needed a savior. No different that he knew that Manny would need a savior. No different that he knew that each and every one of you sitting in this room or those watching online, each and every one of us, we need a savior. We need a savior. You see, the gospel is not some self-help mantra. I mean, if I got a dollar for every time I heard from the moment I was a kid to I was an adult, people using the the, the term God only helps those who help themselves. And then I read the word and I go, that's not in there. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that God only helps those who help themselves. And as an adult, I'm like, man, what was grandma talking about? What was great grandma talking about? What was auntie and uncle and them talking about? Because for years, people had this idea that God only helps those that help themselves, and that is not, that is not biblical. The Bible doesn't say that. The gospel is, is not some positive thinking scam. The gospel is not about being healthy or wealthy or being happy because karma says that it's a result of all of those very good works you do Monday through Friday. The gospel is not about God blessing us with, with shallow material things where we name it and we claim it and we, and we take the gospel and we pervert the gospel and, and treat God like he's some genie that's going to give us whatever we want if we're nice enough. No, the gospel is absolutely bigger than that. The gospel is more than just a partnership. It's more than a partnership. It's not a partnership. Why? Because God does all the work. Not you. Not you. Not me. God does all the work. All the heavy lifting is not on Abram. Abram has no heavy lifting to do. Neither do you. And neither do I. You see, God was willing to suffer the consequences of humanity's failures. Do not leave here without understanding that. That God is willing to suffer for all of your failures. All of them. Every single one of them. He's willing to suffer for all of your failures. All of humanity's failures. And guess what? He already did. He already did. God proved that he would keep his promise. He proved that he would keep his promise even if it killed him. Think about the story of Jesus, for example. There is a a true and better Abraham who answered the call to God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and to go into the void and create a people for God. Jesus left the the comforts of heaven, humbled himself, and was obedient even unto death. And while Jesus hung on that cross, a darkness covered the world just like we read in the scriptures, just like the the darkness over Abram when God made his covenant with him and walked past his sacrifices. This time, it, it wasn't animals that were being sacrificed, but it was Jesus, the very son of God, who was dying on that cross. God showed Abram, he showed him what he would do one day for humanity, And through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he did just that. He did just that. He did just that. Helping us in humanity know and understand that God's promises are true. His promises are true. His promises are true. And there's someone sitting in here right now, right now, who's been struggling. Someone sitting here right now who's been struggling, who's been questioning, who's been in this valley wondering when God's going to show up. There's someone who's struggling in their relationships someone who's struggling in their relationships with their kids or their grandkids, someone struggling with prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, someone who's struggling with their health issues and their health concerns. And God wants you to know the same way that he wanted Abram to know that he is a God that will take care of his promises. He'll take care of his promises and that his promises are true the things that you've been warring and praying for for what seems like years now, don't give up. Don't give up. The enemy of our soul wants us to throw in the towel. He wants us to quit. He wants us to give up. He wants us to lose hope. But God is a God who takes care and honors his promises. He wants you to know this morning that he knows you're tired he knows you're weary he knows you're exhausted he knows you're ready to throw in the towel but this morning church he wants to remind you to hold on hold on hold on let's pray